Who Rules the World? A new podcast by European Union youth delegates Lucia and Nadia on SoundCloud and other platforms. I am Lucia. And I'm Nadia. In Who Rules the World podcast, we will talk about the European Union and United Nations and all the burning world issues that our generation will have to face when our time comes to rule the world. Welcome back to the first episode of Who Rules the World podcast in 2023. Today's episode will be a little bit different as we will hear from Anda Bologa and Maria Reyes Fernandez. Anda is working with the EU delegation as a political attaché in the fifth committee. And in this episode, she will interview Maria Reyes Fernandez, a Spanish diplomat who has been negotiating in the fifth committee for the past four years. Fifth Committee is an administrative and budgetary committee of the United Nations and is also known as 5C. So if you're eager to learn how the money flows and everything about negotiating the UN budget, let's hear it from Anda and Maria. Hi, Maria, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, I would like to start by asking you to tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, I got to meet you in October as a fierce negotiator, and um, I remember your intervention during the EU coordinations, uh, but you weren't always that. So maybe you can tell us a bit about uh, College Maria. How were you doing your university years, and did you ever... Uh, dream that you'll be negotiating the UN budget or was it plan part of your career plan? Thank you and thank you for this nice introduction and it was my pleasure to to be with you during all those crazy months that we have lived together. Yeah, I've been, I studied law and business in in Madrid. I did a double degree that it, it was such a new thing <laughs> some some years ago. And um, I became a lawyer. I've been working in a law firm for quite a long time. But I always have like that feel or, or the, of a public service call. So while working in the in the law firm, I decided to become a civil servant and work for for my country as a as a civil servant. And that's how I came to to the UN. I don't know if. You know, I think that you cannot drink with something that you don't know as much as I know now. But uh, for sure, it was always my dream to work in international affairs. To be honest with you, I was always more focused in European Union, European Union law. I've, I had my, my Erasmus in, in Belgium. I have been always very close to the EU institutions. And as a civil servant, I have a lot of opportunities to, to be in Brussels. But when I thought of about the opportunity to come into the United Nations, I, I, I thought that it was going to be something amazing. And I was not, I was not wrong. <laughs> Thank you. And speaking of the 5C, uh, so the fifth committee, um, the committee that is in charge of uh, budget and administration, and why is December important in 5C and how is this time? It's a very busy time, we know by now, but how is it this busy different from other busy jobs that are out there? And uh, if you can tell us a bit about the working methods of this committee and how you came to adapt to them and how how your skills from other positions that you had in the past helped you in here? 
I always say that my time in the law firm was the best time for me to start my career because they teach me a lot. They teach me how to work. They teach me how to work under huge pressure, how to answer when you are under pressure, how to react. So that was great, great learning. I have the best memories for those times, even if they were hard. I was very young. So when you are young, everything is fantastic, even if, if you have hard times. But that for sure make me the, the professional that I'm now. Mm, about the fifth committee, we have three hard uh, months during the year, that they are December, March, and June. And in those months, we conclude our, our sessions, the main session and the resume sessions that we have during the year. And those months are hectic and intense. I think that there are good things on that. So I, I understand that when you do negotiation, it has to be the, the end of the negotiations are always time of being together a lot of hours, not a stopping and, and work with all the intensity to, to find the, the good language, to find, to, to really understand how we can come together. But I also think that there are a lot of things in the, in the working methods of the fifth committee that should be changed. We, we are in an organization that was made in another time and we need to uh, rejuvenate it in a way. And I think that means that we need to keep more work-life balance, that we need to understand that having a good negotiation doesn't mean to have one whole month of no, not a real schedule, meetings at every hours, and not having a plan that that's very difficult and I think that push out of the committee very good people that mm. cannot cannot have those kind of working methods so I think that we need to we need to continue improving so just to put it simple so our listeners uh, understand you said to introduce language and that for sure is <laughs> very <True>. bizarre <laughs> construction of words for someone that is not familiar with the UN work or especially with the 5C uh, work. So how does it work? So we start in October, right? Yeah. Um, what do we do in October? In October... Mm, As a member state, that is also a member of the EU and that negotiates at the UN uh, a number of files. Yeah. First of all, what you receive is two reports. The report of the Secretary General with the proposals and the report of the advisory committee, the ACAVQ, mm -hmm. that it's the advisory committee on, on budgetary uh, and administrative uh, things, that they sent also their report. Mm -hmm. With that, we need to prepare questions. And mm -hmm. we go to the room and we raise our questions. So people from the ESHI, mm -hmm. they answer our questions and allow us to understand better what they need to implement their mandate. Okay, and when you say we're going to the room, we refer to conference room three, that is in the UN basement, <laughs> well, yeah. that becomes our second home in the yeah. months of October, November, and December, sometimes at night as well, yeah. late December. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have a Secretary General report. We also have this ACBQ report that is a committee of experts, 
uh, highly regarded uh, financial experts. And then we have different member states, um, to be more precise, all member states part of the UN that come with questions. And um, the EU negotiates with one voice through the coordination of the EU delegation. You know, that's something to me that it's the most amazing thing of the United Nations and about the the EU at United Nations. Because we... I think that the role that the EU has at United Nations, it's how things can work in the world. If we think about how the United Nations were built and the reasons why, having now the European Union, 27 member states, with different views of the world, with different ideas, with different interests, coming in a room, in a coordination room together, agreeing in something and being able to defend it, in the uh, United Nations, I think that's amazing if you think about it. I think it's very important and sometimes we are so into it that we lose the perspective. But if you think about it, that's something really, really good. So yes, we do that. As As the EU, when we receive those reports and in different different um, moments of the negotiation, we always have a weekly coordination in which we sit together and we decide our lines, our main points, where cannot, we wouldn't like to be flexible, where we can be flexible, and we decide also our, our strategy in a way or another. Also, something very good of the of the EU is that we divided the items and we made like bartenders teams. So five or six, well, depending on the item, but some uh, member states that are going to keep the burden of that item. And all the EU setting some coordination elements give those member states that are going to be bartenders the responsibility, but also the confidence to negotiate and to be be ready to to be flexible also in the room and to have an agreement on on those items. Yeah, so I had the pleasure to coordinate, um, I think, in theory, four of those teams, but in practice, each of the item was formed <laughs> yeah, of our so six. six. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> now that it's over, I can think about it. But uh, <laughs> it felt very heavy at the beginning. Um, so um, by introducing language, we mean that after asking questions, we arrive at the point where we suggest the paragraphs, basically, yeah. uh, that we want to see in the resolution that the committee votes by consensus in December. Uh, Can you talk a bit about this consensus? And you cannot forget that when we agree as the fifth committee, at the end we are agreeing as the General Assembly. So the fifth committee is just part of the General Assembly and the final resolutions would be adopted by by the General Assembly. The fifth committee has something very particular, is that we manage budgetary themes. And for the particularity of these and, and, and who are the main contributors, who, who are also, uh, where are the main interests of, of the elements that United Nations is doing, and for different reasons, there is a common agreement 
to agree by consensus. So to try to, to decide about the, the items, not because we can vote and decide about it, that would be very easy, <laughs> but because we all try to find where are our limits and where are our main priorities and how we can put all of those together. So consensus, I think, is the, the base of the fifth committee. And when consensus is broken, that it happens, if it's not for something really particular or because there was something very difficult one year or for those kind of elements, I think we should work very hard not to break that consensus because it's the base of what we do. And this is one of the most sophisticated puzzles I've seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how does one day in December look like for you? Just in terms of work-life balance, um, how, how many working hours are there in a day in December? <laughs> there is no work-life balance in December. There is just working time. And if you are lucky, sleep time. You have some sleep time. And sometimes you have a lot of time, because, but, but it's not quality time. Because it's not real time that you can, I mean, that they tell you, you finish at six, do do what you want. It's normally waiting time that you are expecting something from others or that you are expecting for calling for a meeting. So you are all the time looking at your phone as a crazy person. <laughs> you know, I have a, a thing at home that it's not phones, no IT elements, no television, no nothing between six and eight. That is the time that I normally spend with my kids because I come from work and they go to bed very early. They are little. And in the, and in December, I have to, you know, I have to break that rule. So I'm with uh, my, my poor little boy and I'm looking at the phone and putting the phone in his face. It's like, wow. So there are some things that we need to change, but the important element or what I really think is that we we are here working, accepting that, but we cannot forget that there are things that we need to change. And I think that year after year with young generations, with more women in the committee, that I think it's also important because we have also different perspectives with different um, uh, people there that will bring new ideas, we will change it. But everything takes a, a process. Everything takes some years. I'm sure that this will change. Hopefully it, it will. <laughs> I mean, it changed a little bit, Siemens here, because after after COVID, we keep some, uh, some good practices, good practices of uh, working remotely after hours. And that helps a little bit. That helps because at least you don't have to be at United Nations in, in the room 24 room hours. <laughs> you can go home and continue from there, which is important. I think it's very important. Yes, I could feel that um, from my own experience this year. If you have negotiations over at night, at least you have them in the comfort of your own apartment. Yeah. So that's a plus. So, okay, we asked the questions to uh, the Secretary General, to the ACABQ, and then we introduced language. Namely, we drafted the paragraphs that we want to see in the final re resolution. We did that in the room, so delegations and countries could ask questions to each other's uh, paragraphs and mm -hmm. asking why is this a good idea, why is this a priority, why is it 
it important to have it in the final resolution. Um, and that happens for all items, but maybe there are items that take uh, the most times and, and the most space. And one of them, obviously, is the, the budget. Um, so what's the timeline after that? So we've been doing this October to November. And at some point, uh, there is the introduction of language for the UN budget. Um, and then when does the negotiation start? So the real interaction between delegations in a more informal setting, when does it start? When once that that language is out is submitted, normally it's the first week or the second week of December. After that, it's negotiation time. So after that, we really need to start a process of cleaning in a way the language, seeing what is possible, what it's not, and something that I think that we need to improve also is more talking. Mm-hmm. We need to talk more. I mean, we are here to talk and. Sometimes I see that we have like the idea of why a delegation wants something, but we need to go to that delegation and ask them and and see what is the bottom of that. Because in all those years, I also uh, learned that there are one or two things, maybe four, if I, if I want to be hard, that we cannot agree with. So they are red lines for one uh, for one delegation or the other for one group for or, or another but most of the things we can agree if we understand the reasons behind because if we you go to the reason you can find the way to say it that it's also adequate to you so we need to talk and we talk but sometimes we don't leave enough time to to talk to really discuss the, the borderline of, of a language, the principle, the idea, what it's, what, what it's behind, why this is important to you. And that for me, it's one of the most important part of, of our work. Yeah, but that's also uh, the rationale behind uh, using this as a negotiation technique. So the more you push the negotiation closer to the deadline, the less time you have, the more pressure you can put on a delegation or the other. So um, if I hear what you're saying correctly, it's finding a balance between using different negotiation techniques uh, that are uh, valid and, and used in a negotiation and making sure that we don't overlook priorities and we don't overlook important things by pushing too much uh, for for something that one delegation or the other might, might want. And when we talk about negotiations, um, we just come to different rooms. So we change the room number three. That's a big, big <laughs> UN room. And we come to room number five or room number four or conference room number one, uh, which are smaller. And then you can see each other face to face and you can start a more open dialogue. You leave aside the formalities. You still have a facilitator, like in uh, during the question and answer phase or during the language interaction phase. But the facilitator uh, will just simple things, addresses uh, people by their first name, or uh, then you, you start to feel more comfortable to start talking about the rationale behind the the priorities that countries have outlined in, in their paragraphs. 
Um, so that's the whole month of December. And um, you've been doing this for a while and you could pro pro probably notice some dynamics in the work of the committee and uh, dynamics in how the EU has worked over the time you've been here. So maybe if you could tell us a bit about the priorities that EU has in those negotiations and how does the EU defend them? Sure. I First of all, I wanted to say that having time as a pressure, I, I always see this a, a, a bit outdated. And um, I think that sometimes, yes, you can, you can put a little bit of pressure, but to be honest, we are going to be here and continue being here and negotiating all of this every year. Frustrate a delegation or a group, it's not helpful. That's, that's how I see it. We need to, to talk and to engage. And as soon as we do it, the best of the results. They, there is always something that say that a good negotiation is when everyone is equally unhappy. I don't agree with that. I think that it's when everyone is equally happy. And, and we, we should reevaluate those, those kind of things and, and be able not to use time as pressure, but use time to, to engage and, and to, and to listen. And talking about dynamics, that for me, it's very, very important. We really go to that dynamic of talking and, and of coming, of coming together. Our priorities, if you go to the particularities, change every year. But the main priority is always for the EU to give the organization the adequate resources to implement their mandates in an efficient way. That's our main priority. How do you divide that? For sure, we put, you know, we, we, we think that um, protecting human rights is very important, protecting gender issues and excuse me for due the difference because women women rights are human rights but to to understand you know because we we normally make uh, make the difference to be protective with environment to to focus in the field in the safe and security in the field and what they are because one important part of the united nations the, the most important part in a way it's it's on the field and we need to 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 see how they have the resources also to do what they are doing in the in the field that it's very important so i may say that's the main the main priority to give adequate resources and to help the organization to improve and to continue evolve uh because in in, in many ways negotiations are about uh, perceptions right so um some some delegations might feel that their priorities are not uh given as as much importance as they think they deserve so if you could um share with us an example of of such very very challenging situation that you've been as a negotiator and how did you overcome it i i don't know if i have a concrete example but for me the most challenging thing is when I know and I understand that we are something we are doing something that is not right and, and sometimes you you see it very clearly because from a legal perspective it, it's not right from historical perspective because we are going um, against other other priorities that we have so 
when you are in that moment of the negotiation that you say, okay, we are going to agree on this and we cannot agree on this. How, how do we manage this? And again, I think that the only way that you have is calling everyone <laughs> and say, okay, why are we doing this? Are we sure what we are doing? Let's, let's understand it again. Let's rethinking. Let's see what we want. Let, let's see if we can find a different way to, to, to do this. And normally I may say that when we really sit together and, and we say, okay, let's solve this. How do we solve it? We normally do. We can do great things in as, as a fifth committee. Sometimes we do some things that <laughs> are not such a great things, but normally we do. Uh, many things that you, you told us today show us that the organization is moving um, at the pace with the outside world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really good to hear voices from the inside that fight for this and that see the need for change. Um, and I think we, we could hear from, from the entire conversation that we had today uh, ideas to to improve the working methods, ideas to improve the negotiation process. So that's, that brings a lot of hope. So if you are to meet someone, maybe if you are to meet yourself uh, that you just came here <laughs> four, four years ago, uh, what would you tell Maria back then? So how would you um, uh, prepare her for, for this intense four years? <laughs> Um, and in a way, from this, we could understand what motivates you to start every year again. Well, I really love my job. I think I have a great opportunity to be here to make the voice of my country be here. Loud and clear, we could hear <laughs> that. <laughs> no, but, you know, to share also part of our culture, our values, our principles, and to learn from, from others and also to stand as part of the European Union that I'm very proud of. And I, and I really think it's something great that the Europeans did with a lot of effort and, and after a lot of suffering. So I really, I really like this, this, uh, this. And I, I, I feel very, very p- proud when I'm, when I'm in the room doing that. Um, that doesn't mean that it's not hard sometimes. <laughs> and that I, sometimes I just want to cry and go home. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's, that's part of life. What I would say to, to, to Maria, <laughs> to the past Maria, first of all, I, I would say to read and to study, to learn languages. <laughs> That's very, very important. I think that it's it's important to to be prepared in in, in the meetings and for those negotiations. I I would also say to to engage and to talk a lot with colleagues, to call call colleagues. I I'm I I call all my colleagues and I learned a lot. About, uh, with them and about them. And when I have a doubt, I, I call them and I call uh, also sometimes members of the secretariat to understand why they why they try to, to do what's what's the main goal of something because we need to listen to each other to, to understand 
where we are. And I would say to that person, please go, don't be shy, do it. I think my generation is terrified to hear about so many phone calls. No, okay, or WhatsApp. I don't know what your generation do. <laughs> I think for the next generation, that's going to be mainly texting on WhatsApp. Okay, whatever. Every generation reach out, communicate. <laughs> that that should do it. Also, I would say to lose the fear to um, uh, lose the fear to to speak, but not respect of where you are and, and what you are doing so keep that balance uh, about, you know among among that be able to speak but also respecting where you are and and the knowledge that you have and for sure the the main advice is, is to enjoy it i mean you you have to come you have to do your work and you have to enjoy it it's it's very it's also very important to to be able to to enjoy what you are doing to do the best of of it and in this place you have the opportunity to to be together with all the member states and that's something that we need uh, how would i say to 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 make the best of of this opportunity so I don't know about Pas Maria four years ago, but now I am ready to start the process and, and live through December again with you. This has been truly, truly inspiring and um, very, very uh, informative as well. So thank you so much. And uh, for our listeners that are interested in opportunities, I hope we made this job a bit more appealing. There are internship opportunities at the UN, there are internship opportunities at the EU delegation, and there's also the youth office so don't hesitate to reach out we will promote those opportunities as they appear and um, really hope that something that sounds scary and boring and technical such as <laughs> negotiating the UN budget has become more uh, appealing more real and hopefully more fun thank you so much Maria thank you Anna this works it can have a lot of bad things but it will never be boring <laughs> that's for sure this was who Rules the World podcast by European Union Youth Delegates Lucia and Nadia. WRW coming soon with next episode on SoundCloud and other platforms.